Friends, let me add my welcome to you. Uh, my name is Martin Saunders. I'm the vicar of this place, and it's a delight to uh, lead you uh, and to think us think think through that passage of scripture that we've just had. Um, Kingdom of heaven, then, taking the long view of life. So we've had a passage that's been read to us from Matthew's gospel. Matthew is one of those uh, four retellings of the life of Jesus that we find in the New Testament uh, of the Bible. And um, Matthew's gospel is the one that has the visitors from the east that we read about at Christmas. Uh, it's the gospel that has lots of teaching about in the form of Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, and Jesus teaches lots about the kingdom of heaven. Um, uh, contrast with Mark, Mark's gospel, which talks about the kingdom of God, but it's pretty much the same same stuff um, but heaven is the place where God lives the kingdom of heaven is a, is a phrase that summarizes all that there is to say about this country this place that is heaven what's unique what's different how it works who's honored there what the characteristics of it are so for example as a parallel if I were to say Wales to you as in the kingdom of Wales um, what sort of images would come to your mind when I say the kingdom of Wales Sorry? Prince Charles. Prince Charles. Uh, yeah, he's Prince of Wales, isn't he? Okay. Dragons, thank you. Rain, yes. Sheep. Castles. Heaven, says a true Welshman. Heaven, says a true Welshman. Unpronounceable names, yes, a really difficult language. I think Henwyd is the only word I really know. She's old people. Um, Leeks. Oh, yeah, leeks, daffodils. Rugby. Male voice choirs. Oh, yes, rugby. Mountains. Yeah, Snowdon. Railway up the top of the mountain. How do you manage that? Um, anyway. Anybody else? Valleys, chapels, mining, green hills. Any particular foods? Oh, okay, but anyway, you, you, you get the feel of what I'm saying, that the kingdom of Wales, you can encapsulate all that. And none of you have said dragons. Or did you? Oh, yes, you got it at the beginning, sorry. Okay. Um, the kingdom of Wales, it caps, you know, you, and then the kingdom of heaven then. Well, what's the kingdom of heaven like? Well, in Revelation, we're told there's no more crying, no more pain, no more death. Um, and we're told that there's peace with God. Um, earlier in these, this Bible reading, in this chapter, we had stuff like the kingdom of heaven's a bit like a mustard seed. It's a bit like a man sowing seed in different soils. Kingdom of heaven's a bit like what to do with weeds that grow alongside good, good um, crops. Um, heaven is a place that honours God, that looks to God for light. He's the source of all hope and fulfilment. And then Jesus comes to earth and um, Mark's gospel has it at the beginning that, that Jesus, the summary of what Jesus did was that he said he came saying, the kingdom of heaven, sorry, the kingdom of God has come near, so repent and believe the good news. Repent as in open your eyes. Believe the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. And what did Jesus do? He went off and he taught and he, 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 there were some miracles. Um, he did some miracles, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, and they feel like those are samples of what it's like to see the kingdom of God come on earth. So it's a bit like if you were to go into an Irish pub in Barcelona. You know, you would know you were in an Irish pub. There was all that, that 
the greenness, the paraphernalia, the, the, the Guinness, yes. Um, but you'd know you were somewhere different. You weren't in Spain. Yes, you were in Spain. You would be in a bit of Ireland in Spain if you were in the Spanish, in Irish pub in Barcelona. So similarly, going to church is a bit like entering a different way of life. Something of the kingdom of God on earth is visible, at least on a good day. Um, and for followers of Jesus, as people enter into your life, so others discover the rule and reign of God is over your life too. Because actually we're called to pray the Lord's Prayer, aren't we? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. Sorry, I missed out a phrase, didn't I? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We are called, we who are people of faith, are called to be kingdom people, kingdom of heaven on earth people. Um, we just happen to be living on earth. So Jesus then says that this kingdom is so precious that it's worth giving up everything for in this life for the joy of the kingdom, the joy of adoption, the joy of forgiveness, the joy of hope, meaning and purpose in this life and beyond. He told this story about a man who found treasure, reburied it again, sold everything and bought the field that the treasure was in. It cost him his all. Now, in financial terms, it was a good deal. He knew the treasure was worth more than he owned. He knew he could buy the field with everything that he had, and so with joy, he gave up all his earthly wealth in order to buy the field that had the treasure in. It was a sure deal financially. Similarly, Jesus told us a story about, the, uh, the, the next story we heard was about the man who found a pearl, and again, sold everything to get that pearl. Now, unless you're terribly artistic um, and, and value art, particularly, you, this is a little bit harder to get you head around because it's just a pearl um, but anyway people put store in things like that I mean or maybe these days Jesus would say um, you know imagine the man who found the treasure of uh, the keys and the ownership document to a McLaren MP4 12C um, which apparently is Luke's favourite car um, and then hid those documents again and went and sold everything to buy the field in order to get access to the car friends gaining the kingdom of heaven is more than a heavenly version of bargain hunt. It's not trying to buy low and sell high. It's not even about cash in the attic because you can't buy the kingdom of God with money and yet it will cost you everything. The first followers of Jesus did give up everything. Jobs, relationship with others, standing in the communities that they came from, future prospects for work. They even gave up their lives for this faith. And by the way, they're the ones, those early followers of Jesus, that were accused of stealing the body of Jesus. And yet they went to their death declaring that Jesus is alive again. Those early followers of Jesus wrote down what happened and in telling the truth, frankly, they didn't help their case for credibility because the truth that they wrote down was that Jesus appeared first in as a resurrected form to women. And women's testimony was not acceptable in court in those days. I know times have changed, um, thankfully. Um, but actually back then, to write the truth wasn't terribly convenient. It would have been so much easier to say that Jesus appeared to someone like Peter, um, you know, the, the, the chief apostle. Um, but the truth sometimes is a bit inconvenient. 
And these followers of Jesus knew for themselves the worth of following Jesus. So those first followers of Jesus, but also the mythical actors in these parables that we've heard today, they didn't just hear the good news, they did something about it. They sold their all, they invested in their future. That is their eternal future. They took a long view of life, if you like. And there's lots of things we do now that help our future, whether it's long-term, like we go to school to get a good education and thus supposedly get a good job, or we go shopping so that we can eat later, or perhaps we save money so that we can have a comfortable retirement. We that go to work, go to work to, hmm, for fun? Not often. For the financial reward, for the joy of doing the work we do, so that we can buy a trip out in a supercar. Luke, um, £115 for six minutes in that, that car, apparently, according to the Daily Mail. Um, so that we can go on holiday, so that we can spend good times with family, so we can have the finances we need to enjoy our lives. That's why we go to work. And as we read our Bibles, live our lives to God's glory and honour, we speak out for justice and mercy and righteousness in our society. And we that are people of faith, at least in other parts of the world, are willing to give up our lives rather than deny our faith. I was listening again to the radio this morning and Radio 4's um, service of the day, or whatever it is, the morning service, um, included reference to the 21 Coptic Christians that were killed a couple of years ago um, on the beach. There was a fairly famous video that did the rounds uh, of their calmness in the face of death. And that sense that actually they knew that they were going to go to heaven. They knew that their eternal future was assured because of their faith. And so those of us that are of faith, we know that spending eternity with God in heaven is way better than the alternative view of what happens in the future. And I'm reminded of the phrase, make every effort. Because actually, we're called to be people who respond rightly to God's love for us, but also we're called, it's not just about saying thank you, yes please, I'll take that adoption um, and I'll take that forgiveness and I'll take all, all that there is. It's actually a calling for us to be people who are quite active in our faith. So here's some verses that help us to hear that. So um, uh, Luke's Gospel, Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Romans 14, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Ephesians 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following a disobedience. Make every effort, again in Roman, uh, Hebrews, to live in peace with everyone. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and knowledge so on and so on. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, pure, and holy. Spotless, pure, uh, blameless, and at peace with him. Sorry. Um, there's a calling on us to live our lives to God's glory, those who are of faith. Now hold that thought about making every effort and let's apply it to today and Emma. 
We will baptise Emma in a few moments on account of the declared faith of mum and dad and ideally of godparents too. But it's our task, our task, that is both church members, parents and wider family and friends to help Emma to discover this amazing God that we serve but to help Emma to discover this God for herself. Now, of course, Luke and Debbie, you're not, I don't suppose, likely to bring up Emma as an atheist, but you will want to help her to understand God's love, the meaning of the cross, the point of Christmas, and so on and so on. And so in doing that, they will help her to understand for herself that she can make an informed decision for herself to follow Jesus or not, as the case may be, but it's an informed decision. If you like, mum and dad set the, 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 the course of the good ship Saunders on this, but our role as church family, as believing friends and blood relatives, is to help to be helpful crew members on that ship, teaching and encouraging, helping, helping things to go in the right direction for Emma and too for Olivia. Um, and, in that, that means off, and if that means offering respite care to the skipper and a listening ear at times to the one with a hand on the tiller, then that's part of our calling too. We will make promises of support. Both family and church family will make promises of support to to do all that you can to help. So how will we actually do that? How will we help Emma and her cohort to grow in faith? Not just to discover historic faith, but to discover a personal, lively faith for herself. Will you help her discover a faith that motivates her to make every effort in this life? Will you help her to discover a faith which we are willing to die for? Will you help her to discover the joy of faith in God? But in helping helping others, including Emma, to discover that joy, I need to ask us all too, do you have that joy? Does your soul and spirit resound with the joy of knowing God and being known by him? Is there a lived experience to your faith? Do you have evidence of God at work in your own life? Do you notice God answering your prayers? Do you even pray? I want to tell you a story about um, sort of this time last year, I went with Paul, who sat over there, um, to India. And um, we had spent quite a lot of the two weeks that we were there um, teaching and praying with people and seeing people come to know Jesus for the first time Uh, and in the midst of that praying we discovered um, that actually lots of people were finding uh, or reporting that their pain, pains in their legs or their um, knees um, was going away as we prayed for them. We prayed for God's intervention in their lives Now, me being a bit of a cynic, kind of went, all right, God, this is great, but I can't really prove this. Is it you or is it just the mentality that this person's prayed for me and therefore my pain is gone? So, and and I hadn't really processed that very much, but um, on the second, the last Sunday that we were there, just a couple of days before we were due to come home, so as after the Sunday service, a lady came forward and in trying to understand what she was looking for prayer about, we realised that she was both deaf and mute. 
well, not quite mute, but had, had learnt to speak in that way that deaf people who clearly can't hear themselves speak. And we, I, we prayed for her, and suddenly she began to put her hands over her ears because she was hearing things for the first time. She was 25, 30 in age, and it was a tremendous joy to see that change in her. And for me, it's those kind of bits of evidence that makes me say God really is alive, God really is interested in who we are and how we are and what we're like. It's those kind of, that sense as it were of answered prayer that's my prayer that's actually very much in line with but different to that faith that we read about in the Bible. It's not just out there, it's in here, it's my experience. And I wonder what for you is your experience. What are the things that you go, actually, yeah, life might be difficult, but I do remember when. Perhaps we had no money and you know, God answered our prayers and money just came through the doorstep or, or through the post. Whatever it might be. So what moves you from head knowledge, faith about God, to lived experience? Because remember that total wholehearted commitment to Christ is worth it because God's worth it. It's worth selling everything to get the treasure of life without end. It's worth investing our all in relationship with the King of Kings. We live life not for the glories of this world then, but for the sake of the world to come. Not to please people, but to please God, who is actually the judge of all. And as we heard in that parable, that third one, he, well, his angels will separate the wicked from the righteous at the end times. So who will you be counted with? Although, of course, of course, we're all righteous in our own eyes, aren't we? But God is the one who's the judge of righteousness. The only question of eternal worth then really is, what's your relationship with the King of Kings like? Will you live out your all for the king, for the one who saves us? Now, if you were hoping for conversation about the rest of the Bible reading that I'll have to wait for another time. Suffice it to say that um, Jesus clearly grew up in a large household. There's reference to James, Joseph, Simon and Judas and all his sisters. It's got to be at least more than two, otherwise it'd be both his sisters. So that's eight in the household. To my mind, that puts a whole new perspective on why Jesus got left behind when he was 12 and went to the temple. Um, you imagine chuggling eight children and getting them all in the right place at the right time. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw the wicked into the blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the righteous, the righteous will spend eternity with God in heaven. 
So will you make right your relationship with God? And will you live it out because it's worth knowing? Let's take a moment to pray, friends, and I'll hand back to Steve. Father, thank you for your love towards us. Thank you that we can live life with the long view that this life is not just for living on earth, but that you call us to live eternally with you in heaven, and you offer that to us here on this earth. Give us courage to live life now in the light of eternity. Amen. Amen. Friends, if there's anything that Martin has said that you...